draw near to God. Good morning, my name's Robert. Uh, I've been a part of MCC for about 16 or 17 years now. Uh, There's a few new faces around here, I hope to get to meet you afterwards. Um, The last couple of years I've been attending the 5pm service. Um, Draw near to God. Now the 5pm service, it's all uni students and young married couples, so Georgina and I fit right in. Um, But draw near to God. This is the key to our passage this morning and we'll see that it's the key to all our worship and the basis for all of our lives. Draw near to God. It's an invitation, a calling. Draw near to God. It's not a new idea. A few pages over, James writes... Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Draw near to God. And Jesus invites us, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden. Draw near to God. doesn't matter about our situation, what we're currently going through, the pain we currently suffer. Draw near to God. How near? How near should we draw to God? You remember the footsteps poem. Part of it says, but I've noticed that during the most troublesome times in my life, there's only one set of footprints. I don't understand why in times when I needed you the most, you should leave me. The Lord replied, my precious child, I love you and I would never, never leave you during your times of trial and suffering. When you saw only one set of footprints, it was then that I carried you. So draw near to God. How near? Near enough to be carried. Draw near to God. Now before we really dive into the passage, let me just give you a bit of a a run through of what the writer of Hebrews does. So in and around our passage, uh, chapter and a half beforehand, there's some solid facts. It's the reason why we should draw near to God. And then... There's a little bit, or there's a bit about how it relates to us, and that's where we'll spend most of our time this morning. And later on, through chapters 11 and 12, uh, there's some examples. Now, these facts tell us not just what Jesus has done for us, but importantly, this gives us the reason why we should draw near to God. These verses that we look at this morning tell us what it is to draw near to God and how we are to use this privilege. And the examples in chapter 11, there's countless examples. Uh, As we look at these, we'll see that these really are a call to us to persevere. Okay. So please, let me show you how this works. The reason why. Look, that come up in blue there? Yeah. So, therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened for us through the curtain, that is, his body. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God. Now, verse 19 is a summary of the great truths in the previous chapters. begins with a, a therefore. Now, often when we're reading the Bible, we see a therefore. We'd ask the question, what is the therefore, therefore? Um, and... It's looking back at these solid truths. Now, actually, I won't put it up on the screen, but back in uh, Hebrews chapter 9, 
chapter earlier. Uh, Verse 1. Now the first covenant had regulations for worship and also an earthly sanctuary. A tabernacle was set up. In the first room was a lampstand and so on. Behind the second curtain was a room called the Most Holy Place. Uh, Verse 6. When everything had been arranged like this, the priests entered regularly into the outer room to carry on their ministry, but only the high priest entered the inner room, and that only once a year and never without blood. Verse 11, But when Christ came as high priest of the good things that are now already here, he went through the greater and more perfect tabernacle that is not made with human hands. He did not enter by means of the blood of goats or calves, but Christ entered the most holy place once for all, by his own blood, thus obtaining eternal redemption. Verse 15 of chapter 9 also said, For this reason Christ is the mediator of the new covenant, that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance, now that he has died as a ransom to set them free from the sins. So in the old system, only the high priest could enter the most holy place, There were curtains and separation and sacrifices. But now we have confidence to enter by the blood of Jesus. Now if a way has been opened, why was the way closed in the first place? And it was because of our sin. We all naturally turn away from God, live lives our own way. We all sin. That turning away from God, the Bible calls sin. And Hebrews chapter 9, 27 says that we are destined to die once and face judgment. We don't deserve this way opened for us. We did nothing to earn it. It was opened for us. Christ has opened a way. So let's draw near to God. Now it's not just what Jesus has done, but what Jesus has done, this is where it gives us the reason why we draw near to God. The very fact that Jesus sacrificed himself for us who really deserve to die and face judgment, shows his grace and his love, and so we ought to respond in gratitude and humility. Where am I up to? Oh, I've probably, I think I've broken the machine. All right. Um, Have a look, have a look at uh, verse 22. Oh, it's there. So, drawing near to God and how we ought to use this privilege. A fire? Okay. Um, Verse 22. Let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. So, what is it actually like to draw near to God? The passage makes a few things clear. First of all, there's comfort in the full assurance that faith brings. In drawing near to God, there is joy and relief as our hearts are cleansed from a guilty conscience. Drawing near to God is where we are designed to be. Jesus describes drawing near to God in these terms. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. 
for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Draw near to God and we'll find rest from the burdens that weary us. Draw near to God and we'll find gentleness. This call to us is to draw near to God with a sincere heart, grateful for the sacrifice of Jesus, humble at recognising we don't deserve it, but fully assured that Christ has paid the price once for all. Now let us hold unswervingly. Verse 23. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. Now a few years ago, a friend of mine, Dave, was part of a Christian group uh, within the drag racing club Eastern Creek. Um, there's no real skill. You just put your foot hard on the accelerator. When the light turns green, you release the brake. Um, now, David, he gave me one of their T-shirts. And um, oh, it's got God's hot rods on the back. But they've got the motto of the verse. Uh, they picked up a verse from Proverbs as the motto for their little Christian group. And it says, do not swerve to the right or the left. <laughs> All right? Um, which is good advice if you're drag racing. And it's good advice for us. All right? hold, let us hold unswervingly. Don't be distracted. Oh, they're nice clothes. I'd look all right in those. Or that's a nice car. I wonder how much that is. Um, everyone else has the latest. Don't be distracted. Cut the distractions. Let us hold unswervingly. Focused. The main thing is to keep the main thing of the Bible the main thing of our lives. But look at what we were to hold on to. Let us hold, on, let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. We are to hold on to the hope. Now, hope is a word used in a few different ways today. But I don't really like the English language that much. There's all sorts of problems. You drive on the Commonara Parkway, but you park on your driveway. Your nose runs and your feet smell. All right. but, and we use the word hope a few different ways. A child can say, I hope I get a bike for Christmas. But I think hope's the wrong word. I'd suggest that's more of a wish. All right. It's fingers crossed, eyes closed. I wish, I wish, I wish I can get a bike for Christmas. All right. and the, but there's no assurance of it actually happening. It's looking forward to an uncertain future. But here in the Bible, hope is more like looking forward to the school holidays. A child can say, I can't wait for the holidays so I can go to the beach. Or I say things like, I can't wait for the holidays so I can read that book or finish that renovation project I should have finished last holidays. The holidays are certain. All right? But the bicycle as a present is not certain. All right? This hope, this promised inheritance, it's looking forwards. It's eyes open and looking forward to an eternity with God. It's certain. It's guaranteed. Not because I say so or Tim or Hans. It's certain because God is faithful. Okay? Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess for he who promised is faithful. Now how do we know God is faithful? Look, I'll just break aside for a moment. In chapter 11, I won't put all these verses up, 
We can read it and talk about it later if you'd like. Um, but in chapter 11, over the page, the writer lists a whole lot of biblical heroes. And at the end of the list, writes, Since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us fix our eyes on Jesus. Now, please don't misread this. A lot of people think this is um, these witnesses are ghosts sitting in heaven, watching us, witnessing our mistakes, so we'd better shape up. But no, these witnesses in chapter 11 testify to the faithfulness of God. God is not against us for our sin. Rather, God is for us against our sin. And if you read through Hebrews chapter 11 later, it's faith is all the way through it. Verse 3, By faith we understand that the universe was formed at command. Verse 4, by faith Abel bought a better offering. Verse 5, by faith Enoch was taken from his life. By faith Noah when warned about things not yet seen. By faith Abraham when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance. He obeyed and went even though he didn't know where he was going. For he was looking forward to the city with foundations whose are. And it goes on about people living in faith and God being faithful. By faith, the people passed through the Red Sea as on dry land. And all these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance. In all these situations, it's listed God was faithful. These people were were relying on God in a wide range of situations and God was faithful in their lives. And he'll be faithful in our lives. Whatever pain and loneliness, stress and guilt, whatever worry we're going through, God knows, God cares and God is powerful to act. And God is faithful. Verse 22. Up here, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. So, this hope is this assurance of eternal salvation that we're to hold on to. And it's It's like the psalm read earlier. The psalmist... The psalmist is longing to draw near to God. Verse 1 and 2. As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, my God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When can I go and meet with God? And in there there's pain, maybe injustice... Verse 3, my tears have been my food day and night while people say to me all day long, where is your God? But in the midst of sorrow, the psalmist knows to look forward, a hope, an assurance. Verse 5, my soul, why my soul are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God. For I will yet praise him, my Saviour and my God. Summing up so far, we all sin. 
but we are confident to enter God's presence and accept the invitation to draw near to God because of Jesus' sacrifice. And we look forward to the assured eternity with him. So what are we to do now? We've got to this point. What's the one big thing we should do now? Is there a super special religious ceremony we should do? Look, I'm not sure if that's the right question of this passage, if we should ask, what should we do now? But if it is, the emphasis is not the what or the do. The emphasis in the passage is uh, us. What should we, if, it's what should, if the question is what should we do, it's, the emphasis is we. Look at this. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most, most holy place by the blood of Jesus by a new and living way opened for us through the curtain, that is his body. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. You see, it's all about us. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Now let me tell you a little about spurring each other on. Life hurts. Sometimes a spur hurts if you are a horse. Life is difficult. In life, it's easy to be overcome with stress and guilt and pain and sadness. We need to spur each other on. Now, it's a bit of an example. When I was young, oh, younger, I am still young, um, my friends and I, we used to do a lot of abseiling and rock climbing. Uh, These photos here from Clostral Canyon up near Mount Tomah in the Blue Mountains. Every weekend we would go through a canyon, rappelling down cliffs and waterfalls and uh, beautiful places. You have to wear a wetsuit there, you'll see, because of the icy cold water. It's so much fun, but when you get to the bottom, you have a steep uphill walk or a scramble and climb to get back up to the top again, where we started from. It's fantastic places. Um, You end up kind of down in the very belly of the earth. So we might start up here, the cars might be parked. You'd abseil down some cliffs, down some waterfalls, and you'd end up down underneath this river, down at the very bottom here. Now, I don't remember all the distance, but to give you an idea, Mount Banks up in the Blue Mountains is a kilometre, a thousand metres, top to bottom, sheer cliff, and you abseil down in stages. But the walk back up is tough especially if it's your first time. And we'd always try and take new people along in our group. Um, But it's tough if it's the first time because you don't know what to expect. And please understand, we're all first-timers at life. Now imagine this, you've been up since 5am. The adrenaline, the risks and excitement has helped burn a lot of your body's energy. If you were cold and shivering in the water, that's worse. You start shivering your body, your muscles are doing this to try to stay warm, but it's very inefficient and you burn, it burns a lot of your energy. 
your equipment, ropes, clothing, all heavy enough at the start, are now soaking wet and weigh a tonne. Your backpack starts to cut into your shoulders. You're completely exhausted, hungry, and you now have to start working your way back up an extremely steep climb to where the cars are parked. These walks out are tough, and especially so for the first-timers. The biggest problem is you can't see the end. The self-doubt kicks in, and it can be overwhelming. You can't see the finish line. You can't even see the horizon. All you can see are trees and uphill. The little voice says, you're not good enough. You're not going to make it. And so you stop just for a moment. And time and again, I've seen 23, 24-year-old males who were as fit and healthy and boisterous as anyone on the sport field on Saturday break down in tears by late morning Sunday. And they stop just for a moment. It's hard to get going again. Someone says, come on, you can do it. Now, as encouragement goes, sometimes that works for a little while. Sometimes you tell long, silly, drawn-out jokes to keep people's minds off the pain. But what works best for encouragement is this. And if the group's large enough, a couple of us will speed ahead, get up to where the cars are parked, get rid of the gear that we've been carrying, grab a can of Coke or Gatorade or something, and walk back down the track. Now, you might think I'm crazy, you got all the trouble to get back to the top and then you start walking back down. But it's exhilarating when you get to the top and you get rid of your gear, take an extra minute, put some dry socks on. Walking around through the bush now feels like a walk through the shopping centre. So you walk back down the track to where the people who were struggling are. And you can now say with full authority, don't lose heart. The finish line is just beyond that crest. You can't see it yet, but I've been there. Keep going, you've nearly made it. You can get alongside people. I've been where you are. I know it hurts, and I know you can make it. I struggled with that same struggle, and God is faithful. Here, have a drink. Let me come alongside and carry some of your gear. This sort of encouragement always works. It's raw, it's honest. It doesn't pretend it's easy, doesn't try to hide the pain, but it lifts our eyes to the finish line, lifts our eyes to the future. This is like the great cloud of witnesses in Hebrews 11. God was faithful to them, God will be faithful in our lives too. Now in the bush, we're just trying to get everybody out safely and uh, back in time for church on a Sunday evening, but in church, we're spurring one another on to love and good deeds. Let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. It's not about politics or gossip. We're not meeting to drive a human agenda. It's about love and good deeds. Encouraging each other to persevere will involve gentleness and understanding broken my machine again. Um, we'll, we've got to be open and honest about our own fa- failings. And when we encourage each other in church, we should bear each other's burdens. Uh, Colossians 3, Paul writes, Therefore, as God's chosen people, 
holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you have a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. Now it might seem easier to stay home than come to church, especially when there's restrictions. Do something else. I don't mean just stay at home and watch TV. Maybe I'll skip church today because if I can just get this thing done, it'll take the pressure off me at work tomorrow. These verses and the verses in, in Hebrews uh, chapter 10, um, they acknowledge that there'll be reasons to give up. But the writer gives us two solid reasons not to give up, two good reasons to persevere. Look to, first reason, look to the heroes who didn't give up. They struggled, but God was faithful in their lives and God will be faithful in our lives. So, so look to those heroes and look to the future. The writer of Hebrews draws our eyes to focus on that certain hope of the great last day when pain and injustice will be wiped away as Jesus returns. So here at Marsfield, let us persevere and encourage each other to draw near to God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for seeking after us, no matter how far we stray from you. Thank you for sending Jesus to take the punishment we deserve. Thank you for giving us your comfort and your assurance of salvation. Help us to encourage each other to draw near to you. Amen.